0: Bomb ba bomb ba bomb bomb ba dang 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 ba dang dang ba Dang
1: ba dang
0: ba dang it ba 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 dang 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 ba 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 Hello and welcome back to the first of our summer specials here on the Railway Men podcast. It's also our 100th episode of the pod, so it's a pretty special one today. To help me along the way, the panel today are Russ Fern and James Tate. Hi, guys. Hello there. Hello, everyone. We are delighted to say that we are joined, just like last summer, by the crew Alexandra chairman, Charles Grant. Hello, Charles. Hello. Happy 100th. Thank you very much. Thank you for returning on to the pod as well.
1: You're very welcome.
0: Okay, Charles, um, we'll start, if we can, if by discussing last season. Um, now, ha- if we could sum this up in a couple of sentences, how did that compare to all of your time in business, in football, as a year?
1: <laughs> it was a disappointing year, wasn't it? It was a disappointing year from, from the get-go, really. Um, from the, the square back pass, the one old draw, um, it was it was it was a disappointing year. I can't, you can't compare it to business in the sense that um, you know there are so many things individually you can do about it. So for me, you know, um, you know, as a board, we're here to help. You know, the football management and the and the players and the staff, and you, you feel a bit helpless from time to time. But um, the disappointment that we felt at the end of the season built, um, almost from, you know, from the get-go. And uh, I think that's, if you like, the most disappointing thing really, that we never really got going. We didn't look like we got going. And um, every time we thought we might have got going, we hadn't. So, very disappointing. And, you know, I've seen uh, quite a lot of promotions and I've seen a lot of um, relegations and, but, the last one's always the worst, isn't it? Um, it has to be, because it's it's the latest, it's the most raw. Um, and in in my case, it was, if you like, it was the most um, relevant.
0: Could you pinpoint a time where it either started to go wrong or you realised that, actually, we're in serious trouble here? Was the one moment where you felt that?
1: No, I don't think there was one moment. I mean, we... I, I can't remember how much we've discussed previously, but, you know, we knew They um, had a lot of bad luck, really. With the, We would have probably sold a combination of Perry or um, Owen or Charlie, Pixie the year before um, in the summer. I mean, those lads have been with us a long time. You know, they deserve their chance at higher league. Um, but because of Covid, there was almost no activity in the market. And. Um, And that suited us. I mean, I, you know, I prefer not to lose players if we can. Um, But of course, last year was almost a normal year in in a footballing sense. And we lost, well, we lost six, really, if you include, you know, um, those who just left. um, With Omar and Ryan going and the the four guys that had gone, um, Perry, Charlie Owen and uh, Pixie. So we knew in advance of all that that it was going to be really tough for a side that had done okay in League One and was doing okay in League One um, to replace them in the summer. Um, but we underestimated how tough that was going to be and we didn't get the recruitment process right. Um, that's patently obvious and you, you know, I've, I've spoken on record before about you know, what we may have got right and what we may have got wrong. We've certainly got more wrong than right. Um, but it's not a science, you know, and you learn as you go along. It was a very different window to it's certainly different to this window, which we'll talk about later. And so it, we started uneasily. We had a couple of players that turned us down after they'd started training um, in McDonald and um, <laughs> then Tommy Hoban. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're recruiting players after we've started playing in August. You know, not a good thing to do. But, you know, need it was needed, but it's not a good thing to do. So it really, it didn't feel right when we started. Um, we had a bit of bad luck, I thought, in the first few games. But, you know, you make your own luck in football. So it it felt difficult at the start. Uh, and then the longer you go on without, you know, any win or certainly any back-to-back wins, then, you know, the more the, the confidence drains and the thoughts, you know, sets in. So you know we went from oh i don't know the start of that that's it. the start of the the christmas of 20 into january 21 through to the 21 you know august 21 window knowing it was going to be tough um and as the 21 22 season kicked off and moved through uh demonstrably it was tough and so none of it was a surprise because you know, if you don't play well, then you, you know you don't get promoted, and you probably get relegated. So, but disappointing.
0: So you just thought there about losing all of those players. You know, Charlie Kirk, Owen Dale, Ryan Wintle, Harry Pickering, uh, Ng, etc. Um, hopefully, that was a, a unique situation with the pandemic where we won't be uh, experiencing anything like that again. But how do we? You know, if we're going to carry on with the, uh, the Academy model, how do we sort of stop that from happening again, where we have this crop coming through and then we lose them all at the same time? Is there a way to stop that? Or is that just the nature of how it works?
1: No, I, I think we were unlucky. As I said, I think Perry would have gone in the previous summer um, and possibly one of the others. I mean, there was, there was interest in uh, Owen and there was interest in Charlie uh, previously. But, you know... Kobe was Kobe, wasn't it? And nobody got a clue, really, what was going on. So um, it could have been two and two or, you know, two and three. And that that's a lot easier to manage, you know, an awful lot easier to manage. So it's certainly not our inter... I mean, if you look at the 18s that have come through this year, you know, we've got a, a super crop of kids, you know, in the um, uh, Zach Williams, Connor O'Rean, Connor Salisbury year, um, Joel Tavern, all, all those lads. We've got eight of them it's unlikely that all of those eight are going to develop in the same way at the same time same pace uh, and all be sold at the same time if they are sold all leave at the same time should i say so I, I just think it was a bit of a unique set of circumstances which we didn't handle well i mean everybody went through the same circumstances so you know it's not a, it isn't about the circumstances it's about how you how you deal with it and we didn't deal with it well and we have to reckon well we have to recognise that you know um, you only ever have yourself to blame
0: now, last summer, uh, yourself, me, producer Dave, and then Steve and Mark, who were with us that day, we were sat doing a pod. And the idea that there'd be a change of manager from that one until this one, for me at the time, felt unbelievable. Um, but obviously, that is the case we are now. Was there any contingency plans in place of manager change? Was there um, you know, any sort of planning? In, or, or was it such a shock to you as it was to me that that became the reality of what was needed.
1: Well, there's always there's always continuity because um, I genuinely, if you if if the if you ask me a different question, did I think that we would be having to part company and relieve David of his post this time uh, last year? Never crossed my mind. No. Uh, did the thought that David might not be with us at the end of the year cross my mind? Yes, it did, because I thought he did a fantastic job, and I genuinely thought. And when I spoke to him. Um, you know, when I had to impart the, uh, the bad news, I said to him, I said, you know, we've spoken, because we had a very uh, open and, you know, frequent dialogue. I always thought that he'd be saying, uh, booktales and, you know, club A, club B has come along and they want me to, um, you know, ask me if I'm interested in the job, you know, what's the, what's the club's position going to be on it? And I'd always said to him, you know, the club's position will be, we'll look after the club because um, that's that's what we have to do Nobody's has been in the club but we're not going to stand in the way of a manager who's going to a better job and that's if anything was going to happen that's what I would have expected um and was there contingency yes in as much as you can't say well you know we'll, we will uh, we'll tap up Fred Blogs. he's been out of work for six months so he'll probably be out of work at the end of the season you know and we'll we'll get ready with Fred um we know within the academy. Um, that we've got some of the best, you know, we're the 11th best academy in the country. You know, we are 11, Liverpool are 10, Manchester United are one. Um, You know, our productivity is second to no other category too, and that's down to our coaches primarily. Um, So we know we've got coaches and managers who are capable of coaching a team on and off the pitch um, and bringing them through. So the likes of um, uh, Alex and Lee... They, you know, they were always in our thoughts, but not in a, um, uh, not in a overt sense. Um, you know, you've, you've got to think, haven't you, what happens, I think about it all the time with staff, you know, what happens if he goes under a bus, you know, um, that's what you have to do, you have to plan for those things. So there was, there was planning, but not planning as in planning to um, relieve Dave of his post, but planning, what would you do if, if he left for another club or he, is taken ill whatever whatever um and i think we've made an excellent choice in uh, alex and lee you know because they they understand the dna of the way we need to play football and the kind of people we need to play the football we need to play you know we can't turn ourselves into a you know six foot two bunch of giants you know i'm not saying that doesn't work because it does work for some teams but we you know we can't do that we need a particular uh, kind of coach a particular kind of player and a particular way of playing football. So the contingency took all that into effect. And you think about it every day of the week. So, you know, um, one of the things I was thinking about was, you know, what, what happened in, this, in the uh, summer period, what would have happened if uh, Alex had gone somewhere else or Kenny had gone somewhere else? So it's part of the planning, uh, it's just the way it is.
0: So Charles, the game before Dave Artell was sacked was the game away at Doncaster when relegation was confirmed. Was the relegation the thing that caused you and the board to act or was it something, what was the line that um, that sealed the, the decision?
1: The, the, no, it wasn't particularly the game. I mean, you know, we may have been relegated at that game, but we all knew we were going to be relegated. I remember Port Vale relegating us a few years ago and they were cock-a-hoop about it. But, you know, we all knew we were going to be relegated. So, uh, no, it was, it was a genuine belief. Um, um, uh, throughout the whole board that we were in a spiral and we couldn't see how we were going to stop that spiral short of doing something significant. Um, So it wasn't down to that one particular game where you lose to a team at the bottom. No, it wasn't. Um, It was simply the spiral we were in and what we were going to do about it. And uh, how, you know, you've got, I didn't want any new manager, it turns out we know it's Alex and Lee, but I didn't want the, the new management team to have to come in, in after the end of the season, start ringing round and saying, "Oh, by the way, my name's Alex Morris, and I'm the new manager," and da 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 da, da. you know. Hopefully, I'll see you in June, you know, when we'll start pre-season training. So it was, it felt like it was that preparation.
0: So was it was it a united board then in the end? You know, I don't want to pry yes,
1: too much into what goes on. Yeah, yeah. I just on that point, I in all my years on the board, I haven't had. significant topic I mean we're not talking about the colour of the walls and you know that sort of stuff or whether we spend a tenner on the fridge but whenever we've talked about anything of um, any import the board I haven't known uh, the board has always been unanimous Okay, we're on the same page
2: this might be dialing it back a little bit, but I'd really be interested to know your thoughts on this. Um, one of the reasons a lot of fans sort of put on the fact that David Artell was sacked started off with the whole Tommy Lowry situation on and off the pitch. Um, what happened from your point of view and like how how did that disrupt things?
1: I don't know, really. I mean, Tommy, you know, I, I've, I spoke to Tommy quite a bit during the... The season and when he left i mean tommy been with us for a long time he's, he's, he's a fantastic lad and a very good footballer as we all know he his agent was his agent had said look um you know we're prepared not to play football we don't want a new contract um and i've got him a you know i've got him a better team at the end of this year and you think oh, you know in august really you know <laughs> the kid wants to play football um I wasn't intimately involved in it um the way in which you manage you manage all sorts of players in all sorts of different ways you know there's no one way and I'm not a football manager I don't pretend to be one I don't want to be one but all players are managed in different ways depending on you know whether they're quiet whether they're shouty whether they're cocky you know whether they're introverted and um you know Tommy was left out of the team and uh painfully wasn't going to make any difference. So he came back into the team. Um, and frankly, it, it did make a difference, but it didn't it didn't make that much of a difference either. You know, I mean, uh, but it, it it didn't help to that start that we've already talked about, um, you know, the, the first couple of months where, you know, we'd lost the pros. We brought late players in who didn't really fit. And of course, we we're missing Tommy as well. So I tell me it's not the reason that we were relegated, but he is, you know, he's part of the reason. Um, because it's it's an 11-man game, isn't it? Yeah.
0: So, Charles, you've already mentioned, I think, why you uh, thought Alex Morris was the right man for the job. You know, you've seen his ability as a coach in the youth teams, working with the, the youth players, et cetera. Um, were there many other people that came forward with, that you were aware of? What, what was the, the process to hire the new manager?
1: Well, th- th- there was... There was no process in that sense in, in, in which I think you're asking the question. Um, we it's it's difficult to summarise a number of meetings, you know, in in a, a single answer to your question. But in essence, we were agreed that we would prefer to uh, go internal rather than uh, advertise. Did people put their names in the hat? They did, um, and they were all responded to initially with you know we haven't decided yet whether we are going to uh, invite applications uh, and then when we got to a point where we thought we knew what we were doing and um, the few that came in we said with you know we don't think we're going to, um, to invite applications and of course eventually we announced uh, Alex and Lee so people stopped um, stopped applying and I would say in total we probably had 15 to 20 something like that people who were um, interested some of whom would make your eyebrows rise and some of some people who were genuinely um, almost starting out in the game I don't mean that quite literally but people would never know I didn't know they were um, right the way through to um, ex-Premier
2: League. Charles well, was that a unanimous decision to look just internally or was yeah. there some conflict?
1: Yeah no no I mean you know it wasn't just a question of sort of meeting up one afternoon and said are oh, we unanimous I mean we talked about it And, you know, if you do, um, we didn't do a SWOT analysis per se, but we did a pros and cons and we talked about, I mean, the advantages of having uh, somebody who understands the workings of the club, all the players that we've already got in the club um, and what the club expects are huge. The disadvantages are, of course, that they've never managed before for a start. Um, And, you know, their, um, their reputation in the transfer market, you know, won't be as strong, you know, if we'd employed... Um, Steve Evans uh, for example which is a name I've used on a number of occasions then Steve Evans could have gone out into the marketplace and said hi I'm Steve Evans you know me come and play for me and those type of players who would play for Steve Evans would have come Um, whereas Alex and Lee start from scratch so you know there was a hell of a lot of pros an awful lot more pros than there were cons Um, and we were unanimous that we you know We didn't make a decision not to go out and then who should we appoint we did the two things at the same time because they are essentially the same thing
2: did alex have to go through an interview process
1: alex um didn't go through an interview process no but did alex meet the board before he was um uh, appointed yes he did you can't interview i mean there's rules on this you know if you're going to interview then you have to interview um and the EFL and the FA have got have got rules. Did he meet and did he spend time talking to the board? Yes, he did.
0: Can I just get Charles you on record now? I think I speak for every Crew fan when I say you're never going to employ Steve Evans as manager of Crew Alex. That- <laughs> 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 I knew there was a
1: reason I used Steve Evans's name. Just <laughs> yeah, listen, you know, I, I know Stephen. Uh, he's just not our kind of manager, is he? You know, he's,
0: he's not, not my kind of manager.
1: Steve. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um but he does it, you know, uh he's done he's done a very good job at a number of clubs. But you know, we are an academy club and it makes you different. Um and I think he started at the start by saying, as long as we're going to be an academy club. I mean, if we're not an academy club, it is a it is a massive change to the operation of the way in which the football club runs. It's it's just completely different, you know. you you get rid of 20 or 30 staff um, and then you have to bring in another five or 10 completely different staff. You know, it's, you know, running a a solely professional outfit all the time without an academy or without academy at the heart is a completely different operation. I mean, it bears no resemblance. So um, yeah.
0: I'm going to ask you just one more question about the sacking, because obviously it is an important thing, but we don't want to dwell on it. Um, Was, the, or were the fans uh brought into this in any uh way sort of like um crowd numbers dropping there was an online petition grown resentment in stands with the results you know it's not easy sitting watching defeat after defeat you know I don't need to tell you that um but was uh was that brought into consideration you know like numbers season tickets fans staying away
1: um not not numbers and season tickets no I mean um uh, were the fan, was the fans' view taken into account? Yes, it was. But I can tell you that, well, the only thing I can tell you is that I've had more communication that says, why did we sack Dave Artel, Um, than those who said um, we should, you know, the, the people who wanted him out were in the minority that contacted me. I mean, it was a very difficult decision to let Dave go. I mean, really tough. I mean, I'd worked with him closely for a long time. So the fans' view and why they thought, he should stay or the reasons they thought he should go were taken into account, but you know, they are, they are one part of the, the overall thing, you know, at the end of the day, why do you make that substitution, take that nine off and put a number 36 on who goes up front and scores the goal. I, you know, it's, it, it comes down to judgment at the end of the day, but the fans view, you know, we listen to the fans all the time, read what the fans say. I mean, that's, you know, that's who we are, isn't it? You know, we, we discovered that during COVID, you know, The football club is about the fans. There's those who are vocal. There are those who are not so vocal. um, And there are those who are just completely silent and totally supportive. I mean, everybody's got a view and that view was taken into account, but so was the view of the eight directors on the board as well.
0: Is there any sort of feeling of regret about the amount of support that Dave had during his time as manager? I just like as a fan from outside, just looking in, looking at Dave in interviews, looks stressed, looks like he has got too much on. And clearly we've then gone on to bring in the head of recruitment to support. Was there any regret about the level of support Dave had during his time?
1: Um, Yes and no. I mean, I always wanted Dave to have more support, Um, but it's all right having people, but you've got to be able to use them. Um, And of course, one of the things, that tends to happen is if things are going wrong um very often you think well there's only one person that can sort that out and that's me um so we did make changes we made changes a couple of months six weeks you know beforehand um you know to try and help but um dave dave was at a point i think where he could only see his way forward you know through himself really um, and i sort of understand that if you if you get yourself into one of those spirals it's it's really difficult. And that's, that's really the essence of, of what we did. I mean, um, I think Dave took all responsibility, everything onto his shoulders and, and he thought that he had to do everything to sort it out. And of course you end up with, instead of having 20 things to do and being reasonably successful and failing on some, you know, you've know, you got a thousand things to do and it's, it just becomes all consuming. And in the end, you could see the weight and the toll what it was taking, um, and uh, you know, I there's, there's no right and wrongs here, is there? You know, um, Manchester United decided to have you know an interim manager manager for a year. What do the fans or the club um, commercial department think about that? There, and the, you know, the, there's no rights and wrongs. It's I I I didn't believe at the beginning of the year that we'd be parting company with Dave. I thought Dave might be parting company with us. Um, that's not why it turned out. It wasn't done lightly, um, and everybody's view was taken into account, really.
0: Yeah, I think you're you're right. Like what you say about you could see it. You know, David, he seems to have physically age five, ten years in this one year. Um, and when we we, you know, I had the the pleasure of speaking to him for a couple of hours when he came on our pod and interviews before after games, and. Nobody can argue that he didn't love and care about Craig and, you know, he, he completely brought into what we are as a, a club. And I think something you were getting to there is what started out as a strength, his work ethic and his commitment to the club and commitment to doing well almost became a weakness in the end. in the fact that he was trying to take on too much himself, maybe. How are we going to stop Alex Morris from going down the same path?
1: Well, I don't I made the mistake of, of saying this um, a few weeks ago, but I shall say it again because I believe it to be true. I mean, I genuinely believe that we will learn the lessons because it's, you know, we could see it happening. We gave it the benefit of the doubt. Um, you know, people think that close season's quiet at football clubs. Close season is absolutely manic, right? We are running around like scolded you know, cats. Um, and Alex and his team, which is um Lee Bell, Kenny, Fred um, Josh and uh, Glenn, John Dillon you know they, they are at it and they are working you can see them working as a team, um, which we hadn't got at the end. Now we, we have had it over the years but you know it's when it starts to break and crumble it you know it goes like you just described here. So um, and of course they will learn from the mistakes of all the, the missed opportunities uh, of the last 12 months or 18 months um, as well. So, you know, you have to believe that that will will help us on our way um, in terms of not making the same mistakes again.
0: You've just mentioned the name Josh. Uh, Now, that's a new name probably for crew fans. Can you um, just briefly tell us who that is and what his job is? Because I believe it's quite a new role within the club, isn't it? It
1: is. I mean, it is a new role... In the sense, we've got a new you know, an individual now doing it exclusively. Uh, John Dillon was doing it partially. I mean, you cannot get out and, and watch a thousand footballers play football. Um, it's all right watching videos as well, but of course, most videos of footballers are good ones. Nobody sends a video out of you know a central defender you know scoring three on goals and the ball going under his foot ten times. Um, all the videos you get to see are good videos, so it demonstrates what a player can do. Then of course you've got knowledge. You know you play against a lot of these uh, players, so you know what they are, who they are, what they can do. Um, but data plays a huge part in football. Brentford, um, Southampton, Brighton—they run their football clubs on data. It's you know it is a it is a computer data based operation. Um, now we can't afford to do that, um, but we certainly. Uh, started three or four years ago to bring data into play. Josh Kennard has been brought in to take that to another level, full time, so that he's the man that can graph the players, um, show you the graphs against the the videos to show you how weak they are with their left, strong in the air, strong in defence, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, etc. To and he will. If you like, he'll play the the statistics, the, the data side and the data analysis side of recruitment. Um, whilst Glyn will be, yeah, I saw that play when I was at so and so, or I know Fred Blogs. He worked, you know, he uh, he worked and played through at uh, Tranmere or wherever. And so we can combine the two things together. Um, Josh on the data and uh, and Glyn on the personnel, should
2: we say? Talking about supporting staff. Uh, have you ever considered a director of football?
1: Yes, constantly. Um, we talk about it all the time and we talked about it at some length um, uh, with David joining his, um, his tenure with us and certainly uh, after we parted with David um, as to whether we would do that. Given that we've got, you know, I always talk about it as being 9 to 29, but We've got an end-to-end operation with the academy. They, co- You know, the the, the winks come in at nine and uh, a lot of them stay and play right the way through to 23, 24 and some even longer than that. Um, the academy model really doesn't suit itself to, um, if you like, a, an exclusive director away from the first team. It just does not. It's, it's, it's a different model. Secondly, it also... I'm a believer and the board's a believer that somebody is in charge of the football team. Now, you know, you can have a chairman and they're in charge of the football club, you know, whether the doors open on time, whether we make enough money, all that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, the, the key thing about Crow Alexander, it needs to play football. And there can, there can only be really one person. You look at the most successful teams, they don't have directors of football. They have a manager, you know, Pep Guardiola went in as a coach. He's a manager. Alex Ferguson was a manager. Uh, Jürgen Klopp is a manager and there are um I did see the numbers and I I wouldn't want to misquote but there's quite a few more managers than there are if you like technical directors or coaching directors or director of coaching or whatever you know we have some of that functionality uh under Alex but Alex is in charge you know you can't have two people it it splits the responsibilities there's excuses that you can have you know a man's in charge he takes the credit um, and he makes the difficult decisions
2: so with that being said who do Glyn and Josh and the other coaches and support staff who do they answer to is it Alex or is it you and the board
1: it's to Alex um do we speak I mean um Carl Hancock's down there quite a bit now at uh, Reese Heath now that he's moved up north And um, but they report to Alex. Alex is now Alex runs it on the way in which I would like, you know, we like to see it run, which is a collegiate basis. They, you know, they talk about every player we're looking at time and time again amongst themselves. You know, if there's seven people don't like him and Alex likes him, Alex won't take him. Um, But they report to Alex. Alex is in charge. He is the manager.
0: So is that the same as last year then? I remember we had a conversation about transfers and you said, you know, if Dave Artel finds the player and he wants the player, the player's available, wants to come, then we'll sign it. Is that the same now if Alex Morris and his team identify a player, yes. the board will back that?
1: Yes. The the control that the board has is what I would call life control. Uh, are you sure you really want to do that? You know, um, so, so, for example, um, you know, we want to bring a kid from Argentina. Really? You yeah. know, does he speak English? No, he doesn't. I mean, all that kind of stuff goes as input, but it, it wouldn't override the decision. The, the board's control over the manager is effectively finance. It's not exclusively finance, but, you know, to all intents and purposes, you know, the manager is running his part of Creolexandra, Alexandra, i.e. the football team, um, to a budget. Uh, a budget which is, is considerably helped by the fact that he's got academy players at uh, you know that we know inside and out and we don't have to pay massive silly wages to. Um, but he doesn't have as high a budget as perhaps some of the other teams in the division.
0: OK. Can I talk briefly, Charles, about agents? Um, now, when I started to I think that's an oxymoron, Stuart. I don't <laughs>
1: think you can talk briefly about
0: <laughs> agents. <laughs> Well, when I started supporting crew, Dario was in charge, and you know Dario had a very um, well-known opinion about agents. Uh, he he would wouldn't deal with them, and it felt from an outsider looking in, Dave Artaud was trying to carry on with that sort of similar attitude. How are we as a club? How you know? How is Alex Mars? How are you as the board um, in dealing with agents? Because unfortunately, I think there's no way around them now. You know, I I would love to have the Dario Guardi stance of. A player signs a contract and honors that contract. They shake hands and that's it. But I don't think that's how football works anymore. We
1: could do another podcast on this.
0: I mean, happy it, to, Charles. Happy it, to, anytime.
1: It, it, well, we could. And I mean, agents—they, there's some very good agents. There's Some people who they're very intelligent. and they understand. Um. The challenge, they understand the opportunity. Um, but at the end of the day, they want paying, and we've only got so much money. Uh, and if we're paying an agent, then we're paying the player less by definition, because we can't magic that 5, 10, 15, whatever percentage it is, we can't magic it from nowhere. So we're very open with agents in that we, we say, look, all our players have agents now, I think. Um, a, a couple of actually. Loose, let their agents go and they're looking after themselves again now but it's probably a, one, a one-off it's 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 likely that agents will continue to be a significant part of the game and we say to agents look you know uh we understand that you want to look after the kid and um, the player whatever but you know we've known him for 10 12 years and you've known him for 10 12 months and um, we're going to work with this player we're going to do this that and the other and just like the player your reward as an agent comes in heaven you know when they go to Blackburn Rovers you know when they go to um, uh, Blackpool or Cardiff or whatever that's when you'll get your money because it you look at the numbers that Crew, you, you know how can you know, you can't make money here it's impossible you know if you're taking a percentage of players and the players themselves you know aren't paid um, and the players know this I mean you know they're not the best paid players in the league so You know, what they get at crew is the opportunity and the visibility. uh, And that's the same for the agent. And we try and have that very honest exchange with agents. And in a lot of cases, it works extremely well. In some cases, it doesn't. Uh, In some cases, the agents uh, don't really care, frankly. I mean, it's a transaction of which they want a cut, um, crudely. Uh, But there are a number of very good agents. And we just try, we do work with them. Whereas in Dario's day, he wouldn't let them across the doorstep. <laughs> you, you come no further. But of course, that doesn't work now because you can't, you know, you talk to a player and say, well, I, you know, this is all very complicated. You know, I, I don't really talk about it. Talk to my agent. So you have to talk to them. Uh, then the next question is how much you're going to pay them. And as I've explained, we try and, we try and tell them the truth and work with them. Um, FIFA is changing the rules on agents as well. I mean... It used to be that you needed to be bonded to be an agent. So there wasn't as many around, but of course that meant that it was the the people who had lots of money and could afford a a very expensive bond with the agents. And then they deregulated it and, uh, you know, I could become an agent tomorrow morning, you know, Um, and so could you. Some of our players have had more than one agent. They don't understand that the rules, the FA rules and the EFL rules say, well FIFA rules say that you can only have one agent. Unless you're in separate countries. Um, But some of our players have had two because they just sign up, you know, oh, we've got an agent. So it's a very complicated subject. Um, And for me, um, you can't, you know, you can't fight it, but we try and work with it within the bounds of the resources we've got.
0: OK, Charles, I've got one last question about Alex and uh, Lee Bell and Kenny Lund. Obviously, they're all in place now. They've, you know, they're set in their positions, but they've all come from within the club already. Um, is, the, is the club lower down, those youth, um, those youth teams? Are they set with the, the coaches? Is everything set up for um, the continuation with the coaches we've got there and the system there?
1: Um, well, yes, but no, because we're light on actual personnel. So we're going through, I mean, the coaching staff, you know, we've had international players working on Wednesdays and Thursday nights for small sums of money because they want to be coaches and they want to be a crew. So we have quite a lot of part-time coaches who are names that you would recognise. Um, as we have vacant full-time vacancies in the academy, then they come into the academy. So obviously with Lee and uh, Alex within the course of the last uh, 12 weeks actually coming out in the academy, then we have vacancies effectively in those positions. Now, we've already made a couple of shifts and changes, but we do have vacancies and we are in the process of addressing those both internally and externally.
0: Do you find that Crew, as a club, as a, as a name, is quite good at recruiting these coaches? You know, because of this, you know, we are renowned for the style of football that we play, whether rightly or wrongly at times. And you see, I think the obvious one is Neil Critchley. You know, he's gone off and made a name of himself and he's flying now at Blackpool, you know, mid table with Blackpool. Well, shirt. the
1: obvious one is Steve Holland, of course.
0: Um, yeah, of course. So, <laughs> so the more recent obvious one is Neil Critchley. Yeah.
1: Yes, yeah. And there's just been a meeting of all Academy managers, all 92 of them, um, a two day session. And the two star presenters were Steve Holland and uh, Critchley. <laughs> <laughs> a good part of their presentations was crew so yes we always have a lot of interest but equally um we're very interested in 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 ex players who didn't make it or those who've come back even um mainly because they understand it's so difficult i mean to explain you know what makes the culture of don't worry play football pass the ball you know um and you know, that's been dialed into our DNA and it all used to exist very simply uh, in the sense of in one man's head and it was Dario uh, as the years have gone on and the you know the, the safeguardings come in and coaching rules and regulations have come in player cares come in and um, different financial I mean, the, the money's changed significantly then you can't do that with one man and you know the one man coaching and shouting at his coaches and saying do that do this and then on a Saturday afternoon, he manages the first team and he brings on a 17-year-old um, gives him 20 minutes, takes him off, and as he goes off, he says, you're going to play in the 18s now for four weeks. You know, that's the way it used to be. Now we've, we've got uh, processes and uh, conversations, protocols that allow us to do that. You know, the, the 18-year-olds who are still academy players don't go in the first team without uh, Dave Artel or in, now in the case of Alex Morris going through without talking to the academy coaches. The academy coaches understand the way in which all these kids have been brought up to play and the first team is playing in that manner. Do people then want to have those jobs? Yes, they do. Those jobs are coveted. Um, And, you know, Alex Morris has vacated the under-23 position. And I personally have had um, texts and WhatsApps from uh, well-known footballing names who would like to be our under-23 coach. Um so you know we'll go through that process over the course of the next few weeks now the academy is still operating because it's effectively a school um, so it'll continue to work until school holidays shall we say um and that works going on as we speak
0: I, I think i'm probably pushing my luck if i was to ask you for any names for these people that are... well that would be unfair on the people wouldn't it um, yeah you know but got to ask but, though charles yeah. no
1: no no i know i have no problem with asking at all and but, um, but they do understand the way we work you know, because um, you know the the pre academy manager is Ross Woodcock, um, and uh, that was an investment we made last year. Into you can't you can't do anything official with kids under the age of nine; it's not allowed. But every organisation looks after six, sevens, and eights. So you know, kids will go to Liverpool tonight, and they go to Crew tomorrow night, Manchester United on Saturday night. You know, and there's no problem with that because nobody. Now that academy, that pre academy manager is a lad called Ross Woodcock, who's was dead. Unfortunately, looked like he was going to be a first teamer. He was an academy boy. He had three cruise ship problems or two cruise ship problems, and um, he left us because he wanted to. He believed he could make it. We, we weren't able to extend his contract a number of years ago. He went away, uh, realised eventually, unfortunately, that he wasn't going to make it as a footballer. Uh, did a few things, and now he's come back, and he interviewed and won the position of pre-academy manager. And, you know, part of his pre-academy presentation included how you get looked after at six, sevens and eights, and he had some videos of himself at six, seven and eight. So, you know, that that continuity is what gives us something of an edge against, if you like, the the likes of Wrexham, who are likely to come into the league with a budget 10 times what our budget is.
0: one of the things you just mentioned there as well about Crew is, and I think this is, or he is one of the, uh, the standout uh, players. Definitely one of the, the shining points of the season is Zach Williams. He's just announced or the club have just announced that he's staying for another couple of seasons, at least. Um, yeah. He did leave, didn't he? As a youth player, he went to Everton and then he yeah. he felt that he was getting lost in the system and he came back.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: I think that sort of emphasizes the point you're making that, you know, Crew will, look after you, if you buy into the system here, then they will look after you.
1: That's right, and and we're fair with, you know, if the kids, you know, are struggling and are not likely to make it, you know, we've always tried to, I mean, you have to nowadays, you know, there are rules and regulations, but, you know, we're, we're honest with the players. Um, and, you know, Zach thought he was a good player. Well, he was right there, he is a good player. Um, So he went off, you know, to Everton and of course, you know, it's a different setup. It's you know that there is a lot of a lot of boys at these big clubs, and uh, you know you can get lost if you're not careful, and um, particularly if you're miles away from home and you know you're not playing with the lads you played with for the last four or five six years. Um, all that stuff counts. I mean, you know, if you play football yourself, you know, if you get out of bed on a Sunday morning and you just don't feel right, then you don't play very well. Now, you, if you magnify that a thousand times with all the things that are going through, you know. The heads of these um, of these young boys, it, it, it gets really complicated. And yeah, he came back and he's, he's not looked back, has he? And yes, he signed a two-year contract. Um, you know, I still fear that somebody from the Premier League will come in and he might have his head turned. And if some the Premier League comes in, how can you stop him going to the Premier League type thing? But I hope he's going to stay. I've, I've talked to him myself, so we'll see. Um, but he's a good player and we've got a lot of good players in that group and we've got a lot of good players coming through as well. Um, so that bodes well, doesn't it? Um, he loves it at Crewe um, and his dad's a super bloke and um, I think we all hope really that he you know, he has a couple of fantastic seasons and goes on to be, you know, a really good player at a really high level.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you've just mentioned that if a Premier League pl- uh, team comes in for him or any of the others, one thing... I think that started to come into crew recently or, or at least that fans are more aware of is release clauses. Is that a bane of your life now that the the players are asking for release clauses and their release clause figure doesn't match up with what you would like the release clause to be? Or is it like agents? Is it just something that we have to deal with as a club?
1: It is. It's exactly that. Um, You know, I mean, people say, well, we sold Pixie too, you know, too cheap. I agree we did but we wouldn't have had him for the three previous years if we hadn't had a release clause he'd have come before that so you know do you agree a release clause which is at the time considered to be there's something in it for the football club and there's something in it for the the player and the agent or do you say well we're not putting a release clause in you can go now at 21 rather than 23 so um ironically we have less release clauses at the minute than we've had for a long while so
0: I I think one of the things um That Dave Artel mentioned when he came on our pod was when Pixie signed his release clause for what he was at the time which was a mid-table League Two player the release clause was quite competitive but then when we sold him as a mid-table League One left back it was a little bit too cheap you know I think we didn't get as much money as we should have done or could have done for him is there and I don't know is there a way where we can work into contracts that this is your release clause if we're in League Two. This is our, your release clause if you're in League One. Is that a thing that is possible? For the
1: purposes of this conversation, Stuart, anything is possible in a contract. The fact is you need two parties to agree to it. And if you turn it into um, you know, a scientific equation or an algorithm that looks like DNA, then you're probably not going to get it signed up. Um, but yes, that that kind of approach is discussed. You know, if we're in this league, then this much. And we've had that in uh, previous contracts as well. Um, would we have got to be quite a decent League One side if Pixie hadn't signed that contract, you know, eighteen months previous? That's a good question, isn't it? You know, did he help us become that, you know, that mid that mid table team? Therefore, his value goes up. You know, at the end of the day, you know, this is a game. Um, it's a game that we, you know, we all love, we all play, and we all watch. And you know it's back to what we we're talking about at the start. You have to make some judgments as to you know, how it's going to work. Um, and uh, sometimes it gets extremely complicated, and sometimes it's very straightforward. Very straightforward. So um, we try and stick with straightforward if we can. And, and that's why telling you, telling everybody, telling the players, telling the agents, and being straight up and honest. You know, you may lose out occasionally, but generally it works in your favour, I think.
2: So Charles, it's, we've done a very uncrew like thing. We've signed two players before the end of May. Um, just interested to know if that's sort of your prerogative or Alex Morris's prerogative, or is that something that we tried to do last year or is it something new for this year?
1: No, I think we've, I mean, bear in mind, we don't normally sign a lot of players. Last year was the exception that we talked about and why we talked, why we needed eight or nine players. Um, we tried to do, um, we tried to do it early last year, and our we got messed about by our number one targets because we, we may not be the number one destination for the individual. So they they sort of said, well, you know, give me a couple of weeks. Thing, I'm you know, I'm just off to Marbella for a couple of weeks or whatever, you know. Uh, give me a room when you come back, and we, we hung on and hung on. So this year we've, just, I mean, it's always better to go early if you can. I mean, there's always some bargains if you like at the end. Um, but at the end last year we ended up by having to take bargains it didn't turn out to be bargains at all it's much better if you can do your business early and when they come back on the 20th well, now but when they come back formally on the 22nd for full you know flat out pre-season training um, you can address your new squad in its entirety not hi guys there's another five to come in in august you know because that's very disruptive so it's it's, um, it's, it's is it, my problem for Alex is it's, it's, it's neither really. I mean, it's just, it's, it's best to do it that way. Everybody tries. We're not in a position to twist arms to the same degree that uh, Liverpool or Chelsea might be. Um, and you just have to accept that. And sometimes when you you know, you're being messed about by a player for weeks and weeks, you have to say, do you know what? He's not quite as good, but we can get him now. We can get him in the team. We can get him in the squad. He's definitely coming. He's not going to let us down on August the 31st. Um, so that's what we've got to go with. You, know, you have to be pragmatic.
2: Was that the thinking back in January as well, with one eye on potential relegation? Again, quite rare for us to make permanent signings in January. Very much
1: so. Uh, whether it was relegation or not, it was about the future. It wasn't particularly about relegation, it was about knowing Tommy wasn't going to sign in the summer and knowing it was unlikely that we'd keep. Um, Chris, knowing that uh, Mika was very honest, a bit like Ryan Windle was, look, you know, I don't think I'm going to stay uh, I certainly don't think I'll stay if we're in League 2 but even in League 1, you know, I'm being approached already, he was and you can approach a player in the last six months in his contract, so he was very honest, uh, super guy, Mika um, so, you, you know, you start that work early um, and that's what we did um, and I think, you know, with um Awakwe and uh, and Sambu and uh, Ajai, you know we've got three good players, and you know they've had first team, first division, League One football, um, and they know exactly who uh, Alex Morris is because he was the he was also the first team coach as well as being the under twenty three manager. Yeah, it, get your business done as early as you can. Really, I think is uh, most managers, you know directors would tell you the same. Um, it's just not always easy, and particularly if you're hell-bent on a particular player and that player is uh, much admired and keeping his options open. I mean, for me, it's about, de- you know, it's more about desire and character than it is about the actual player. But I don't pick them and I don't play any part in that process, rightly so. I just say things like, you know, would he be okay if he moves up from Plymouth? You know, do you think he'd be all right leaving his you know wife and three children behind? They're the questions I will ask if, if they've asked the player that and they're happy about that, but I don't get involved in the um you know the fact that he's really good on his left, but he ain't got a right foot at all, you know, and that kind of stuff. Um, they've done all that work through uh, Josh and Glenn and uh, John Dylan, and uh, the earlier they can move for their number one or number two or number three, because we've probably had 20 players in all the positions we've been looking we um, we're we'll getting done.
2: Is and, Kelvin Mellor's return the easiest signing that you've ever seen?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kelvin, I was, I was, I didn't, you know, I mean, again, I never wanted Kelvin Mellor, Mellor to leave when he left. I thought if he'd stayed a bit longer, you know, crew would have made quite a bit of money. Nantwich Town would have made quite a bit of money out of it as well. Um, and he would have gone to a higher level. But we let him go when we let him go, you know. Um, And Kelvin is a crew player, you know, man of the match at Wembley and all that sort of stuff. He's 30, whatever he is, too. You know, we ain't going to have to coach him in the way we play football, you know, through the thirds, through the triangles, all that sort of stuff. And more importantly, I talked to him when he, after he'd signed, he was modelling the new kit. And uh, he's absolutely over the moon to be back now. (laughs) If, um, if he stays fit and and all that kind of stuff, he'll be good for the young the players. He's been there, you know, he's been up the leagues a bit, played in the championship, all that kind of stuff. And he just, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, what a lot of people don't realise, he hasn't actually signed yet in the sense that he has signed the contract, but it can't come into effect till July the 1st because contracts all run till June the 30th. So, um, but yes, he signed and... Uh, his old club have said they're not going to sign him and he's happy, you know, they're happy for him to go. And he came, it took no time. He's known to everybody concerned. He know he knows what he's getting himself into. He knows what he can add. I was over the moon. You know, is he going to be an absolute game changer for us? Well, in part, I think he might be, yeah. Um, but what a great lad, you know. A lot taller than I thought he was
0: as well. Charles, I'm going to move on now, if I can, to some off-field issues, you know, the, the way the club is run. Um, I think the feeling that I got coming out of the club, um, well, since I started doing this podcast, really, is that it it has a lot more potential than it's than is being used. So we saw last year uh, the stadium with the renaming to the Mornflake Stadium. We saw the scoreboard with, uh, you know, the supporters uh, group getting involved with that and helping raise some money and the club getting that. Um, And then we also saw some things like ex-players coming back to the Legends Lounge and, um, you know, before game, during games, etc. Are you happy with where the club is now with off-field? Is there more to come? Uh, Am I happy? Yes, I am. Is there more to come?
1: I sincerely hope so. Yeah. Um, You know, we've had at least 10 years of underinvestment. And at the end of the day, first of all, football authorities are trying very hard to stop you just um, supporting a dead duck, a financial dead duck, because that's what happened to Barry. That's what happened to Derby. Um, so you've got to you've got the rules that you you know, the, the, the financial fair play, salary cap management protocols. I mean, the complexity of this stuff is mind numbing. Um, so you have to make ends meet effectively. Uh, you know, you've got to tie up what comes in with what you pay out. Um, so it's, it's our objective to try and increase the revenue that comes into the football club. And, um, and the only thing, well, the major thing by a mile that we spend our money on um, is players. But there's also other stuff that we have to spend our money on. And particularly as we've under-invested in things like pitches. Um, I told the Fans Forum about three years ago um, that we would have a TV and for, reasons I can't go into, but they were financial. Um, we didn't get it. No, funnily enough, nobody ever challenged me. You know, <laughs> that We didn't get it at the time I'd hoped we would get it. Um, but we've now got a fantastic commercial mindset with James Beckett, and he's supported by um, Stuart Whitby and Tony Davison, and also Mark Bevan um, from the RSS. And that, that working group and commercial has, has done fantastic. You know, and it's it's easy to sort of cock a snoop at, you know, we've got hospitality that people pay a lot of money for. that's for the Toffs and all the rest of it. Um, but, you know, it, it goes around the ground. We've made investments into the Railway Men's Club, into the Legends Lounge, you know, what was the old gold club, um, Club Alexandra. Um, we've spent more on pitches in these last two years than we have, to my knowledge, in the last 12. Because, you know, if you think that it's important to buy or retain an academy player because that's what counts. The next most important thing is to make sure he ain't playing on a you know a council tip um, and that they play on grass um, and that the grass you know is playable through the through the winter. So we've spent a fortune in the last two years, a fortune for us uh, in the last two years at Reese Heath so that the kids don't have to go indoors all the time and play on 3G which You know, the jury's still out on whether that's good for you or isn't good for you. But they can, you know, they can play on grass. And when you kick the ball, it doesn't go four times bigger and get covered in mud. And you've got size 12 shoes on, you know, all that money. That's a lot of money. Um, And we've been able to do that because we've improved the income side of our business. And we can go a lot further. And if you were to talk to Tony or Stuart or Mark Bevan, they would tell you the same. There's, There's plenty of scope for improving. Am I happy with what we've done? Yes, I am. I'm very happy. Um, but there's more to come. But at the end of the day, it always comes down to um, supporters. And by supporters, I mean that in the widest possible context businesses, sponsors, uh, and people who buy season tickets and people who rock up, you know, 10 Saturdays out of 23 uh, and buy a ticket. All those people who support us, um, both in, the, if you like, shouting terms and um, on the terraces and Put the money into the club because if it wasn't for that the club couldn't exist and if if that didn't happen you know the directors simply couldn't put the money in they put money in to fill holes but you know if there is no income you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to be here um they're the rules so we have to improve the income side of the business in order to make the investments in some of the infrastructure stuff um, like tvs like pitches uh, as well as of course hopefully being able to inch up the budget for um, staff and for um, players.
2: You mentioned the pitch there, you know, um, we were all seeing the growth update pictures on social media and we obviously all saw it last year, it was like a total embarrassment the pitch was. What can we do to make it not, as you said, a council tip and actually something that resembles a football pitch rather than just digging up every season, every close season? Well, in, in,
0: in hindsight, Charles, was it a mistake building a massive stand on the south side of the stadium where we're stopping the sun getting to it is that part of the big problem
1: that's part of it yeah um that everybody digs their pitch up most years so that's point number one if you don't dig it up then you know after a couple of years it's it's beginning to look pretty crappy because it gets compressed and and um, i'm a software engineer right? and i <laughs> spend, i spend time talking to these gardeners <laughs> and We've just had a, we found an issue when we just dug it up this time because we're putting a lot of fibre back into it because um, it's sand and fibre. And uh, when it was dug up, it rained heavily and we found some problems and we spent a lot more money than we'd even planned to. And um, I get very frustrated about the pitch um, because we always seem to know in hindsight, you know, what it, what it was. But I mean, we could solve our pitch problem at a stroke if we bought ourselves, you know, lots of lights. We tested the lights. Um, And if we bought enough lights to keep a third of the pitch on the lights for the season, and then the pitch would be fine. All we need to do now is find about 400,000 pounds to run them. (laughs) So so do we spend 400,000 pounds on lights, you know, to give us a bit of grass? uh, Or do we endeavor to improve the basic substructure of the the ground? That's the route we've taken. We can't afford the electricity. and the lights um, at this stage, you know, it's it's just not feasible. So um, every club that's got stands like we have suffers with these problems. But if, I mean, you've only got to watch it on Match of the Day haven't you, or on Sky on, uh, on a Sunday afternoon. As Soon as they start interviewing managers, the bloody lights, they're on, you know, they're on seven by 24. Um, and that's why Arsenal spends, well, they, about 10 years ago, they spent a million pound a year on maintenance of their pitch. Right, I mean, our whole turnover is only 3.2. <laughs> so you're never going to spend a million pounds on the maintenance of your pitch, but you would get a pitch like ours. It's probably nearer a 2 million now, I'd have thought. Um, so it's, it's a balance. Um, and uh, sometimes, you know, there's not enough drainage. Sometimes, uh, so it holds water. Therefore, the grass doesn't grow deep. Therefore, you don't have deep roots. So as soon as you put the covers on because the pitch was fine until we put the covers on, put the covers on for a few days. The grass starts to weaken. Um, and of course, it's got no root growth to, to, to support it. So when you take the covers off, it goes bare. What I can tell you um, is that our pitch was nowhere near as bad as a lot of pitches we played on. That's, and that is a fact. Is it as good as we wanted it? No, because we want, we want a bowling green because we've got people who can pass the ball. And we want this ball on the deck. Um, So it's not as good as we want it. Ian Williamson, who spends a lot of time on this stuff, um, we are trying so hard to make it better. Um, And it's nowhere near where we want it. It's nowhere near as bad as others, but we need it better than others because we want to play football. It's it's a long subject.
0: Charles, to go back to something you were talking about before we got sidetracked by the pitch, um, you said you're happy with the changes but you're you know there's still more to come is there anything that you can uh, tell us that you're working on that the club are working on that is going to change that's going to be new for next season or some, somewhere in the future
1: well i mean you know i hope to see um, more of the same uh, obviously not the same but you know more of the same types of things uh, there's an awful lot of businesses new businesses in crew are you know very keen um, when we speak to them i mean they don't come out the woodwork but when you go and talk to them they're very keen uh, to try and support the club and, you know, be associated with the club and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, that's that's one arm of it. Um, and then we've got to look at uh, things like our ground. Um, you know, HS2 is coming. There was a thought that perhaps, you know, the ground would have to move. Um, you know, we went through a, an aborted process of talking about whether the ground would move into the centre of crew, um, you know, whether where there's a big hole at the moment. Um, but that probably you know um won't happen um but we can do things with the ground that we've got now um as hs2 comes along because this is not for now it's or tomorrow it's for next year and the year after so hs2 will bring some changes um you know the, the uh there's things I would like to do with the stadium. If the stadium isn't moving, and it certainly isn't going down the A500 or anything like that, I mean, if the stadium is staying where it is, it, it would only move if it if it was good for the community, i.e., for the council and the people of crew. But if it's staying as it where it is now, which I think it it probably will, then we're you know we'll look into how we can improve the stadium with better facilities um, for um, for fans and for off field activities. So, but all these things take time. Um, And of course, you've got to get the initial money in order to go down that path.
0: Okay, so I think we'll leave it there then with a little bit from Charles about the potential of a a new stadium. Uh, There's a couple of bits of housekeeping from me before we go. We're going to return next week with early 90s fullback Gus Wilson. So make sure you keep your eyes peeled for that one. Also, we're pretty much in June now. So that means we're about a month away from our website being launched. We've been busy compiling articles welcoming new members onto the team. It's definitely not too late to contribute. If you want to get involved, just send us a message on any of our social medias and we'll um, try and get you uh, involved in any way you want to. But for today, Charles, we are uh, incredibly happy and thankful that you agreed to come back on. Um, Not the easiest one, I imagine, this year after the season we've just had. But yes, thank you for your your honesty and your time. It's great to be here. Uh, Yeah, we really do appreciate it. Russ, James, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you as ever for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Blue moon.